Good morning. Good to see smiling faces in here, and we want to welcome those who are joining us online. I have a couple of announcements to go through today. Um, if you would like to help out with uh, a mission we're having with the Phillips family, see Lori afterwards or give her, send her a text uh, sometime after church today. Uh, during While we're in here today, during the offering time, just use the box on your way out. We will still sing our offertory hymn, but we won't be passing that plate in here this morning. Um, I think that's all we have. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, hymn 236. Bless that wonderful name. Please stand. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. No other name I know. Sing that wonderful name of Jesus. Sing that wonderful name of Jesus. Sing that wonderful name of Jesus, no other name I know. Preach that wonderful name of Jesus. Preach that wonderful name of Jesus. Preach that wonderful name of Jesus, no other name I know. Praise that wonderful name of Jesus. Praise that wonderful name of Jesus. Praise that wonderful name of no other name I know. Share that wonderful name of Jesus. Share that wonderful name of Jesus. Share that wonderful name of Jesus. Good to see everybody here this morning. We've uh, <clears throat> been through some wild weather, and it's going to change again in the morning. And uh, <clears throat> we've been through uh, some some outbreaks of sickness, and uh, I want to remember everyone who is who has been sick, and, and uh, praise God that uh, many have recovered from that, and uh, the medicines are getting better. Uh, I want to uh, <clears throat> especially mention this morning that. Uh, Brother Peter and his family, Clarissa and and uh, Isaiah and Josiah and Abigail uh, have all been uh, last 
with us last week of all the people that in that place are here with us this morning. And uh, I want to say a special prayer for them. Uh, you know, they're sick, but then also Clarissa has sprained her ankle uh, severely, and so she can't run the kids around the house or take care of them like she normally would, and so a lot's going on to Peter, and he's also sick, and so uh, a lot going on there with our, our pastor's family, and I want to say a special prayer for them today. But if you could look at uh, the book of James, if you have your Bibles out there, we'll read a scripture to you right quick. Uh, it's in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and I'm going to read uh, 13, 14, <coughs> and 15. Starting in verse uh, 13. If any among you afflicted, <coughs> let him pray. If any marry, let him sing psalms. If any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So right here it tells us to pray when we have the sick and afflicted, that we pray for them. And as a church, we should do that. So I want to especially uh, lift up uh, the Tillis family this morning. So if you'll bow with me, and uh, I'm going to start our worship uh, prayer out with uh, Tillis and Tillis family. Lord, we thank you this time you've given us to be together this morning, that we can come here together and uh, worship you, pray to you, and listen to your word. We thank we have that privilege, Lord, and, and that uh, we have health good enough to be able to do that. Lord, I want to lift up the Tillis family. I know uh, Brother Peter would love to be here with us today and, and bring him the message. And we thank you that you've uh, sent Taylor to bring that message in his place. So, Father, I pray that you be with Peter and Clarissa, Isaiah, Josiah, and Abigail, I pray that you would uh, heal them, bring them back to full strength so they can be back here working with us and carrying on the things of family and their responsibilities and uh, and do this work uh, as they normally would. And we believe in you, Father. You said come to you in prayer and that you would take care of it and you'd lift them up. We ask you right now, Lord, to uh, lift that family up and uh, heal them and strengthen them and bring them back to you. And Lord, for others uh, that we have here suffering, that have uh, been afflicted with uh, this pandemic virus, I pray, Lord, that you would show who you are in your glory and just take it away and heal them. That it would be through technology, we get it today. It would be through text, just snapping your fingers, we can do that today. We thank you, Lord, for those that have had this recently, that you've healed them, and we thank you so much for doing that. Lord, we praise your name. Thank you for the opportunity to worship this morning. And Holy Spirit, be with us as we do it. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you would stand with me, and we're going to move on down to uh, hymn 203, His Name is Wonderful. We're going to slip on down the bulletin a little bit there, but if you would stand with me, 203, His Name is Wonderful. We'll go through one time. His name is wonderful, His name is wonderful, His name is wonderful, Jesus. 
That's all I've got. Lord, we just thank you again right now that we can be in your house. We pray for your messenger today, Caleb, Lord, that you would hear him and let, let him just bring your words today, Father. Just bless, bless him, Lord, as he steps behind this pulpit, Father. We pray for us as we listen, Father, and those that are listening at home, that we can let your word soak into our hearts, Lord, and let us be changed in just a moment. Morning, Smithfield. Sitting there about 1045, we're like, well, people must have got a lot more sick than we thought. But then sure enough, see the doors come. Pretty sizable. Not that I'm counting. I'm glad to see the faces of God here at Smithfield. And we're glad that people have the ability to come and sit under God's teaching, not a preacher's. Amen. Our passage today, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Is 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. Brother Peter charged me with his general theme these next few weeks, and he's past month has been a more of a missional or missions type of influence or message. We often define missions as this off-site type of journey. 
we go places and help people and spread the word of God with love and faith. We do this. We love it. We always talk about our mission field, though, right, is to be every step that we take. And that is very true. Everywhere we go in our daily lives, our walks, our jobs, our grocery store visits, going over with a friend to play cards or something, how do we initiate missional conversation amongst those we encounter daily? Because let's be honest, how many of us in the past six months have went on a mission-focused trip somewhere? How many people go to work or to their friend's house or to the grocery once a week? At least. So we can be focused right now on how each step we take can lead to a missional conversation. And that's our point today. It's often a difficult task, but an inward mindset and heart condition after Jesus' example provides the means. We would like to explore how an inward posture of faith and hope leads to a missional life and gospel conversations. The Holy Spirit provides the steps to exhibit a hope that shines to all around us, inciting missional conversations and a missional way of life. It requires a change of heart and mind. We may face direct opposition to this mindset, to this heart condition. The slow persecution built over time towards God, or sometimes it's complete apathy to God, I just don't care about anything. Or an apathy towards living life as it was designed. Have you ever had friends or family members who pretty much know that their way of life isn't the best and they just don't really seem to care? They just, "Ah, well, my life is what it is. I'm not going to change it. I've been this way too long. So they know that it's not correct, but they just don't care. That's an apathy towards the way they were designed. In all cases, God is truly and wonderfully powerful in all of them, granting us grace to share his name to any person who we may encounter. Let's read this passage here today. 1 Peter 3, 8-17. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. God is good all the time. 
We're going to break these down into sections here. We're going to break this down into several points that lead us to a conclusion. This is a linear tale in this section. Verses 8 through 14, this first half, detail the heart condition of a church that is prepared to spread the word of God. It is the behaviors of the faithful that bring blessing and allow us to be proper missional believers. Missional was a word I learned in college and slowly and quickly, that was weird, slowly and quickly, became one of my favorite words. Missionary, we connotate as a person who goes. They are a missionary. We know that we are supposed to be missionary people, missionary believers, but we connotate that with a specific person. Missions is the specific mission, the act of it. We are going on mission. We are doing missions. Missional is a lifestyle. Missional is the way of life for the believer who has their heart on fire. You are missional. You're going each day, and it's an act that you pursue. It takes constant effort to be missional. And that's what we're called to do, and that's what this verse is showing us how to get there. Verses 8 through 9. Take on godly characteristics. This is your first point. So you may bless those who oppose you and receive blessing. Verse 8 here is a call for the whole church to be in a unifying state of mind. You know how quickly a church can dissolve once two people get it in their minds that they're never going to work out with that other person. Once they've made up their mind that they're not going to be working with this person, that one rift can shred a church. But we are called to a unifying state of mind. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart. Our design is to work together and spread the name of God. And that only happens effectively when we share a common mind. Maybe you visited a church where they really are on fire for missions, but it's like three people out of 30. And those three people, they're really working hard and their hearts are in the right spot and they're on fire and they're moving and they're doing so many for good for God's church. And the rest of the church says, good job. Yeah, we love you. Keep going. We love you. Good stuff. Do missions. Why isn't the rest of the church backing them up? They don't have a unified state of mind. They don't have a unified goal. Because if they did, they'd be joining those brothers and sisters who are doing Christ's work. We have to maintain the humility, the sympathy, and the compassion for one another and stand as one. We have to echo God's love. Think of the perfect example has always been Jesus Christ and his love, right? That echo of what he set forth is how the church operates. Did he come to the first century church and say, I love all of you, but this guy, he didn't do that much on this last mission trip, so he's, he's down a few points. I don't really like him right now. No. If we were all at VBS and we saw one man in the back who just kind of stood there the whole week, good job, I'm, I'm here, I'm here, I'm good. You don't know whether that one man's presence affected the outlook of a child who had been there and never saw a man interact with Christ. You never know how God will use people. So we cannot cast division amongst ourselves in missions work or in church work. God will use anyone anywhere for just obedience. We are doing the mission of obedience. 
we must stand as the exact countermeasure to the opposition around us as in verse 9. Let's read this together. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. How hard is that? When you're driving down the interstate and some very rude driver cuts you off very close and you just want to speed up so bad and cut them right back off. You don't think that's repaying evil for evil. And that might be a minor example, but how far do we take that? We cannot repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. How many people, when you make a decision for your family, I know mothers get this all the time and I wish it wasn't true. You make a decision for your kid, other mothers find out and then you get mom shame for the decision about your kid. What's that about? You thought you were doing what was best for your child and if it wasn't, that might not be the case. But there's no point for some woman you don't know to try to tell you that you're not being the right mom. But we can't revile that person for reviling us. Sympathy, compassion, a brotherly love. This is the missional life, how you react daily, actively. But on the contrary, bless these people. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. That's a scary thought. You were called to experience reviling. You were called to experience evil and not repay evil. Because why? If they hated you, know that they hated God first. We'll get there in a minute. When someone approaches with hostility or mockery or amusement, we must respond with kindness, compassion, and respect. And respect might be the hardest part of the whole thing. How many people are nice, but you know they're full of it? Oh, I love you. You're such a good friend of mine. You really are. No. You know they don't mean that. There's no respect. I respect a lot of people that I work with that I don't necessarily like. I respect them for the human they are. And when we can master all of that, we are living a missional life and displaying God's hope. What I and other Christians fail to realize, our, leak, our calling leads us directly towards that opposition so we may receive blessing from God's grace upon practicing obedience. He never throws something at you that he's not prepared to take away. He never throws something in your challenge that he is not going to let you fall back on him on. Oh, you put this coworker I really don't like next to me? I'm going to lean into you then because I don't know what to do with this person. That's exactly the point. That's what he wants us to do. We are called to this persecution in order that we may receive grace and show our faith and hope. How we react tells people about God, period, every time. We had situations in work, again, where how we react to people who just don't get the job and get frustrated when you try to correct them and we get frustrated back, what is that teaching them about God? How we react is missional. Take on the characteristics of God as a church and individually, so that you can stand firm against evil, not repaying evil, then bless those who oppress you so that you may receive blessing from God and in turn, they might come to understand the blessings of God. Knock some, have you ever done something nice for somebody out of the kindness of your heart? Didn't think about it, didn't do it, 
with any sort of pre-thought. You just did it and watch the other person light up because they have no idea why you just did that nice thing for them. Some people get mad. They're like, well, you, you can't do that. I'm not, I can't pay you back for that. What would you do that for? It automatically starts conversation. It starts questions. The hope you exhibit, the mission you exhibit, sparks conversation. And that's how we have to move forward. The door has been opened. We always pray, right? God, give me an open door. Give me gospel conversations. Give me people who want to talk to me. He throws one at us and we go, hold on now. I didn't, I didn't say that, did I? But you did. And he's here and he's giving you that when you exhibit the hope of Christ. Let's look down now at verses 10 through 12. This is a direct quote of Psalm 34, 12 through 16. He paraphrased and moved it around a little bit, but it's the same message in Psalm 34, 12 through 16. Let's read this one through one more time. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Go back through that passage and tell me how many of those words were active action words. Desires. That's an ongoing feeling. Let him keep, hold back, restrain his tongue from evil. That's an ongoing thing. Let him turn away, walk away, go the other direction from evil. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Seek and pursue. I always think of beagle hounds chasing rabbits. They are constantly driven to seek that rabbit. And they won't stop. They will pursue it and pursue it and pursue it and pursue it till they literally get exhausted. And then you have to come find them and throw them in the truck and take them home. The whole point was we have to pursue. It's active. Our mindset must be on God and His grace so that we can move forward in love towards those in our lives. We see the actions we must follow in our minds and grace has been given to us to make it possible. If we seek to love life and see good days, we cannot speak evil and deceit. We must turn entirely from evil and actively do good. Do not get Paul or Peter confused here. This is not a either you're perfect or you're not deal. When he says we must turn away from evil, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have slip-up days. That doesn't mean you're gonna, not going to have bad altercations with people. You still will. But you must strive like that will never happen again. I must strive like that will never happen again. Trust me, I say this every single time I've ever been up here. Nothing I say to you, I cannot or I do not need to apply to myself. All of this is something that I must embody as well. If we seek to love life, we must seek out peace actively and pursue it actively. Peace is something that we tend to not like actually. How many people equate peace with boredom? I've seen that happen, especially in college. I've had friends of mine that were so after their grades that when they got a second to be at peace and sit still, it ate them alive. They had to do something. They had to get up. They had to work on something. They had to find more work to do. They had to go out with friends or something. They couldn't just be at peace. 
So peace is not necessarily turning away from anger. It's finding rest amongst yourself and rest in God. That is peace. Turning off the things that plague your mind and just being in His presence. Whether Sometimes that's just sitting in your car, listening to a peaceful soundtrack on the way home from work someday. And you can be at peace. All of these conditions we train our minds to are active. They are ongoing and a continuous effort to mold our hearts into God's shape. We will never be God's heart, but we mold it close. What is the benefit? Why do we need to keep all this deceit and stuff away from us? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. He hears the prayers of everyone, right? who reaches out to him and says, God, help me. And he hears those prayers. But when we exhibit a righteous lifestyle and we ask for things in true faith, powered by the Holy Spirit, how much more is he willing to grant us what we need? If he withholds it, it's because we need to be taught a lesson. Or maybe it's not at the right time. But pulling our hearts closer into God's shape only encourages God to grant those prayers. Because he knows that we're not going to mess him up as bad as if we were someone who was asking to God whenever the crisis arises and then forgetting about him when you get back in happy times. And we can fall into that trap. I fall into that trap. What he's saying here is maintaining that gospel mindset encourages communication with God. And your communication will be deeper and more fruitful. And because you have that deeper connection with God, you can connect with other people and they will see that connection. See how this is all working out. It's coming back to the missional, active lifestyle. He's not asking for perfect righteousness, nor is he wait, asking for a person to become righteous before starting their faith walk. Oh, God doesn't want nothing to do with me. I'm horrible. I've never cared about it. I've, I've never done anything for God. I've never been in church. Family's never been in church. I don't, he don't want nothing to do with me. That's the exact person he wants. He said, I have not come to heal the healthy. I have come to heal the sick, right? That's why the Pharisees got all torn up. Because he was spending time with the people they deemed unclean. God said, they're all my children, so what does it matter? I'm bringing them all home. Every one of them. It is the genuine effort, the true striving for God that he notices. He sees our hearts, our minds, our motivations, and he knows what we live for. If we truly live for God with a mindset after his, then the place on our linear road is nearly irrelevant. We like to put ourselves on scales, right? This is a baby Christian. They've only been Christian for a year. This is a Christian who's been there for 60 years, strong pillar of the faith, and we like to put ourselves somewhere in this scale. The scale doesn't matter to God. What are you doing to live for him daily? That's what he wants to see. He wants to see us giving our lives entirely to him. Whether you've done that for 25 years or 75 years, it doesn't matter. He will never hold the Christian higher than another. They're all within his grace. The Holy Spirit is actively working towards sanctification for all who try and mean it. By contrast, his face is against those who actively pursue evil. Plain and simple, end of story. Now, that does not mean 
that there is not hope for that person. All is not lost. Our Savior died for all mankind, and even they can repent and turn back and pursue peace. They just need to be told about it. And that is our mission. That is why we are missional people. These are the characteristics of a person who seeks the opposite of the world, actively pursuing God and peace. In doing so, they gain a heart after missions. We must always treat others in a godly manner. That is how we move forward in this world. We're going to move down to verses 13 through 15. This is your second point, or third point. Through righteous suffering and reaction, we honor God and display our true hope. That brings questions, and that is missions, our true hope. Let's read 13 through 15 again. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. One of our great fears is that we could be physically harmed by the world for speaking the truth of Christ. And we also fear for emotional pain or heartache. How many people avoid a gospel conversation with their close family member because you know it's going to cause a rift? 100%. I do that all the time. Family members are the hardest to have gospel conversations with. However, that person, that persecution is already experienced around us. There are Christians in our lives today that experience that persecution. You are not alone. If you feel like you can't handle it. Big example, look anywhere outside the U.S. where there's a thriving Christian population. We may think US has lost, the U.S. has lost its Christian nation status. But we're not persecuted at all compared to these other countries. Yes, we face our own trials. But the persecution here is nothing compared to places like China, Mexico, Islam, Islamic countries. When the, when the Taliban took back over, Christians were being beheaded left and right. And we, praise the Lord, have not had to face that yet. So we have no excuse to say, oh, we've been persecuted. Now, that doesn't dismiss your emotion. That doesn't dismiss how you feel. That shouldn't be an extra guilt you put on yourself. But it should be a blessing to realize that we have a wonderful chance to share the gospel. He has already protected those who suffer in his name and let us know that the persecution is because the peoples of the world have already hated him first. It said we're going to get back here. Look at this. John 15, 18 through 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. How could anybody argue with that statement? He says, yeah, they don't like you. It's because they don't like me. And I literally pulled you out so they would see that you're mine. And then they really don't like you. So if you're looking for comfort as a Christian, 
Don't be looking for it outside of God's provision and grace because he's going to throw you into the fire so that you can show his light. Now, it doesn't have to be painful. He gives you the power to move through that. He gives you the peace and the blessing to endure that fire. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace to be burned at like four times the heat. And just because they were faithful, God stood among them and said, come on, we're walking out of here. The faithful have always been protected, even though we're thrown into these situations. In verse 13, Peter does not say we will be unharmed always in a physical sense. Look at 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? What he is promising is that no true or eternal harm will come to a Christian who believes what is, and is zealous for what is good. No matter what we do here on this earth, no matter what happens to these, I call these earth suits, because that's what these are, what awaits us is far, far better. In my humble opinion, what happens down here to my body and my earth suit, whatever somebody could throw at me, somebody could hurt me with, if I'm standing for Jesus Christ and that, that hurt and that pain comes along, I know my reward and my, great, and my great hope is in heaven above. It doesn't matter what happens here. And that's easier said than done because we're awful, fearful creatures, especially for our own bodies. But the reality is what awaits us is eternity. Or what? If you make it to 100, most people want to go home. So for that 100 years or so, more like 70 or 80, Compared to eternity, there's not a comparison at all. No matter what happens to this physical earth body, we cannot be harmed in our spiritual selves. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 1, 22 and 23 from Paul. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Paul realized that if he stays alive on earth, he's going to serve God. And he's going to do it till the day he's called home. And if he dies, gain. There's no downside. Missional life and missional activity has no downside. If we are trusting in God and the mindset he detailed in the previous verses, 8 through, 13, or 8 through 12, if we can exhibit those thoughts and embody them, then the missional lifestyle is only gain. We just have to see through what we may suffer through. Whether we live for 20 years as a believer or 75, the eternal reward for zealous faith remains the same. No matter what we suffer and endure here, what awaits us is far better. Verse 14 promises that no suffering for the right cause in faith of Jesus Christ will be without blessing. There's an uplifting part of this whole thing. If you were starting to feel down about what you may endure, verse 14 is telling you to lift your head up, keep your chin up. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Once again, like we've mentioned before, what we've seen before, he's going to put that on you. Put that persecution on you. Put you in those situations. But he is going to pile the blessings on behind it. He's going to pile on the grace. 
He's not going to throw you in there and leave you to it and just say, well, have fun. Hope you come out all right. No. Throw the blessings at us so that we can stand up and say, I have a hope in Christ. Whatever you people are doing to me, trying to hurt me, trying to harm me, trying to harm my family, I have a hope in Christ. And what you do can only bring me temporary earthly pain because I know where my hope lies. I have a hope in Jesus Christ. And you will never stop God. You may be able to stop me, but you can never, ever stop God. No matter what people reach us for. Our suffering may teach others or reveal how God's provision changes our attitudes and hearts. How many people have had a horrible tragedy happen in a family for no reason that we can discern? A heart condition that nobody knew about and a heart attack took somebody at 43. Out of nowhere, no clue. Why did this person have to go? How many people do you influence when they ask, wow, that must really be painful. How did you move through it? That must really be something you don't know how to deal with. What, did, what, what, what are you doing? How many conversations do you say, listen, I just had to rely on God. I had no option here. I had to lean into God. And sure enough, he pulled me out of it. We don't know what that person who was called early might have had to endure later. Who knows what could have been coming down the road that was worse for them. Ultimately, once again, eternity is nothing to the 43 years that person spent as a believer. We're all gods in the first place, right? And if we are offering ourselves as tools to God's discretion, why can we be mad if he decides he doesn't need a tool anymore? But we are more than just tools. We're more than just pawns in his eternal game. He loves us. He knows us personally. He knows your every thought, every desire, every need, every want. And he works with that too. How many people have found a calling that they never knew they had because God given me opportunity? He said, man, I would never have dreamed that this type of volunteer work at this food bank that I'd have been good at at all. But God gave me the opportunity and really grew my faith through it. And maybe at that food bank, you encounter some customers who are just not grateful at all. And it burns you up that they come in and want to take everything for themselves, right? They leave nothing for the other hungry people. But the way you react, the hope that you display incites missional conversation. That's what we're talking about here. We may go from resenting God for what we feel he isn't protecting us from to realizing we have more blessing and provision than we can ever fathom even through the suffering. We can spend a life full of suffering and still have more blessings and find all of our needs met simply because our salvation is in heaven. That hope, that fact renders all persecution here moot. Irrelevant, because our hope is in Christ above in heaven with a glorified body and streets of gold. That means whatever happens here, if we are serving God right and our hearts are towards him right, doesn't matter. As long as we are serving God with our whole heart and displaying his hope, what happens to us, our families, pale in comparison to the glory above. I don't want, to hear me, I don't want you to hear me say discount all that. It's how we feel. It's our lives. 
it's real and it's still important to us. He acknowledges that too. Don't think that he's just going to call you to throw away everything in your life for his sake. He may. And if our lives are right, we can't get mad at him for it. But he still acknowledges that we need things on this earth. And we have family on this earth. And we have love on this earth. And he wants to protect that too. They coexist. We're following here? We're tracking along? Verse 15 is the mission of the whole passage. So why does the previous passage matter? So what about it? We have an example of where to set our hearts to serve God, but what does that have to do with missions? The mindset of God, aforementioned, is what allows us to respond appropriately to those who may approach us with godly questions in a way that glorifies Him as well as take the news out. Read this again with me. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The first aspect we must explore here is the hope, excuse me, the hope that is in you. This hope is an active and moving mindset that is displayed daily in the lives of those who truly believe. This hope is in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God above, who have promised good to us. This hope is supposed to shine so radiantly that it forces people to ask about it. This hope is supposed to exude so far from our bodies that people can't help but stop us and say, what's wrong with you? You seem way too happy right now. How many times have you got something like that? It's a Monday at work, and you're just going about your business perfectly fine. And all the other people are just zombies, just dreading work. But they know that something's different about you. you they always attribute it to coffee or an energy drink or something. But you say, no, I have the hope of God within my heart. Won't that conversation come about? And is it not our duty to pursue it actively? The hope is in we hope that the things that afflict us in this life are thrown away and that God is faithful to every promise he has made and he is. Every promise he's ever considered for us and given to us, he will follow every single time. What does he promise? That all through suffering you will be blessed. What does he promise? That no matter who reviles you, you were called to that and will receive blessing. That is a promise that you can put on a magnet and slap on your refrigerator. It's not going anywhere. These verses apply the mindset gathered in 8 through 12. We cannot be harmed in any eternal sense. And our suffering for a godly cause brings blessing. We suffer unafraid to honor God and dutifully answer when people question the reason for our hope, and that is on display. The mindsets exhibit the hope of Jesus Christ and his message. The hope of Christ is the mission. Is that not what missionaries go to other countries and tell other people about? The hope that God is here and can heal you and give you peace and give you life again. Is that not when a missionary is going to an unreached people group and saying, listen, the hope of God is real. 
So how could we not go about each day like the hope of God is real in our hearts and the peace it provides is extended to whoever we see. We should be so full that people see that and have to ask questions. The hope we exhibit and show like a light is an aspect of biblical missions. We should be so full of God's hope and love that we cannot help but be noticed by those around us. They should be forced to recognize God's hope just by coming in contact with us. That is missions. That forces interaction, that forces questions, and that forces conversations. And it's not a forcing. God is opening doors. And too many times have I said, you've opened the door, I'm going to just shut it right back. I don't want to deal with that today. And that is the heart condition that I have to change if I ever want to be a missional believer. I have to change that attitude. Will, will all of these conversations ever be positive or have a calm demeanor? No. You're going to have conversations that might turn into arguments. You're going to have conversations that are just awkward, which I almost think is worse. I can deal with an angry person. I can't deal with a person who just is really confused and I don't know what to say to him. That's worse in my brain. But once again, the blessings abound where the struggle is. And our hope provides the power to go through it. However, we're reminded before anything in verse 15, have no fear or be troubled. And that's so simple. We hear God, have no fear or be troubled. Okay, God, love you. Thanks. Have no fear and be troubled. Have no fear and do not be troubled. Sweet, now what do I do? <laughs> it's a lot harder to put that into practice. It's a lot harder to, when we are afraid and when we are troubled, turn to God and say, I don't want to deal with this. Here, have it. I love you. But that is our call. That is what we're supposed to do. And he provides the hope to make that possible. The alternative is only honoring Christ. That he is holy and that he provides all the truth made clear in verses 8 through 14. Why do we honor him? Why can't we fear? Why have the godly mindset? So that we can prepare a defense to those who ask the reason for our outwardly shining hope with gentleness and respect. All of the characteristics breed the hope that answers the question. That's the message of the whole passage, the whole sermon today. The godly mindset and heart condition breeds a hope that shines so brightly that others may see it and you can respond in hope. And that is something you do every step you take, everywhere you go. You don't have to go to Nepal. You can go to Walmart and be missional. Verses 16 through 17 have a tag that reminds us that the people who oppose us are still under God's plan as well. Look at 16 and 17, and we'll wrap up with those two verses. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. With our hearts set solid, the opposition can say nothing. For they see our hope and know we suffer for it 
for Christ to abound. The opposition can't say anything if our hearts are right. Because where's their beef? It's not actually with us. It's with God. And they see God and they don't like it. Remember, if they hated you, remember they hated me first. The more you look like me, the more people aren't going to like you. But the more my blessing and my provision will abound. We have the mindset of 8 through 14, so we have a solid conscience prepared to receive slander in a godly way. Look right back up here at 8. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So if somebody slanders us and tries to say, this person really doesn't know God. This person is acting out of selfishness. This person is fake. People love that word now. For some reason, they love that. Oh, they're fake. They're a fake Christian. That's a fake happiness. That's a fake grace, a fake respect. They love that word for some reason. But when you stand right in God, you can respond in a way that says, listen, brother or sister, I'm just living the way my God tells me to. And I'm sorry that this is something you see, but I would love to talk to you about it and try to clear whatever it is you have a problem with up because God is good and he will help. That's what we're supposed to do. The ones who revile you will be put to shame because the hope in your heart shines so brightly. They will fight against God convicted but be seen for who they are. Now, what happens if our hope is not necessarily so bright and shiny? We don't have this defense, and we get slandered, and so we stumble through it, and we know it could have gone better. Now we've got to ex- extenuate, or what I was saying, we've got an ongoing problem with somebody because our hope wasn't where it needed to be. Do you think God's just going to leave that there too as a punishment for your hope not being there? No. He's going to say, let's work through that too. I want to take you through that too. Your heart should be in such a position that they seem foolish because they oppose God. We must realize verse 17 fully. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Lots of people suffer because of bad choices. Drug addictions, alcohol addictions, DUIs, assaults, theft. And they pay for that, right? They pay for it in jail time or they pay for it in physical violence. They pay for it in destroyed families. The suffering we encounter for God's sake is because people don't like God. And isn't God the most powerful creative being the only creative being to ever exist. And isn't he not going to protect us from that? Now, we can still suffer of our own bad decisions, but anything we do for the righteousness of God that receives persecution, God says, my blessing is upon you, my child. Let's do this. Let's do this together. I want to help you. How powerful is that? He looks at my child and says, don't worry, I got your back. Let's do this. It's like hitting a sports field and you have all your team behind you. And you know that team has your back. You know you can crush that opposition. You know you can score every goal. And your team is just fired up. 
Let's do this. Let's go. Let's crush it. We can do it. That is God on your corner every time you feel down for persecution for his sake. Every single time he says, listen, I love you. Let's do this. That suffering produces more faith and more godly blessing and more hope. It produces more hope. And each abound. You have more gospel conversations and more faith to answer them. And it keeps building and building and building. Billy Graham. Do you know how many people opposed him? A lot. But he's arguably one of the greatest evangelists of our time. But there were significant portions of each of his crowd who were denouncing him. And what did he do every single time? He said, listen, brothers, let's talk after this. After my revival, because he would be, do revivals for, what, 8, 12 hours a day? And for the last four of the day, he would take those brothers and sisters that he had beef with and run them to a tent and say, let's do this, let's talk more. We develop a solid conscience set in Christ so that when we suffer slander and reviling, the opposition may be put to shame, knowing we suffer for Christ's right reasons. You ever seen somebody flounder trying to disprove something they have no standing on? They're like, well, that's just, that's not right. That's, that's illegal, isn't it? That's, that's, you can't do that. You're like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And it's obvious. That is what the opposition will come to realize if we're standing in the right hope of Christ. Missional life and activity requires a mindset and a heart condition change so that we build hope and faith for other people to ask us, hey, what's different about you? Something's off. I either don't like it or I'm curious. What's off? And you can say, well, I have a hope of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world who came and died to save you. And then it's about them, and that often makes people uncomfortable. But that's where we have to go. If you remember anything today, when you go back to work tomorrow, when you go see a friend this week, when you go to the grocery this week, and you have an interaction with somebody that says, hey, I might just need to talk about God. Whether they say it outright, or they say it in passing, or it has nothing spoken at all. May you have the hope that Christ has your back and is saying, let's do this, my child, let's talk. And when we build that up enough, he very well may say, all right, now let's go. Let's go to Mexico. Let's go to Nepal. Let's go to China. Let's go do missions. Some people would be more comfortable with that than going to their grocery store and doing missions. The point is that God will help us do it daily. And it's powerful and it's beautiful. Remember that going into the rest of your week. Thank you all for giving me this opportunity. Because I do think there are things that need to be said that he has laid on my heart to say. And I do believe that the opportunity, it would be folly of me to ignore the opportunity. I would be foolish and I wouldn't be acting on the hope of God if I ignored the opportunity to only recount what he has already said. God has already said it. We as a church just recounted 
with our own experiences so that other people can see the hope that we walk around with. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've always done and are continuing to do. You are the very best and the only, the only king of all kings. No matter where we go, no matter which step we take, no matter what people we encounter, you desire that they become saved. You desire that they become people of God. You desire that their peace happens, that you can give them peace. Let us exhibit the mindset and the heart after yours to know we can stand up and say, I have a hope in Jesus Christ that will never fail. And I love this person. And I want to be there for this person. And I want to talk to this person with respect and gentleness. We love you, our King. And you have that power. You have always had that power. Go with us into this week, into our lives, as missional believers, devoted to seeking out the conversations and shining the hope of Christ wherever we go. We love you, our King. And we pray all these things in your blessed and holy name. Amen.